Three Pagans and a Cat is supported by Anchor and Fox Consulting. Anchor and Fox is a management team that supports spiritual specialists, co-creating sustainable models of community and reciprocity, helping us manage our time, money, spiritual, and emotional resources. Follow them on Twitter at Anchor Fox and on Facebook and Instagram at Anchor and Fox Consulting. For booking, you can contact Anchor and Fox at www.anchorandfoxconsulting.com. Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. We must give more in order to get more. It is the generous giving of ourselves that produces the generous harvest. Welcome to Fire Festival's Lunasa, the 53rd episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 19th century author Orison Marden. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meet. My name is Gwyn. Ode's mother. August 1st is going to be Lunasa, as usual. Some people celebrate it on different days. I know it's celebrated in some places on August 15th. And or some on people the, call it Lamas. Right, or on like the full moon following August 1st or whatever. The traditional date, the standardized date, I guess, is August, August 1st, so that's August coming up. If you want to know more about general Lunasa practices, go back and listen to our episode on Lunasa from last year, where mm-hmm. we covered those in some detail. This year, we're doing sort of deeper dives as we try to get into more of the deeper mysteries of the holidays. That's right. right. But before we do any of that, housekeeping. 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 I have a a few houses to keep. The first one is we have three new patrons. Okay. Nice. Thank you. Lisa Luther, Kathy Zadranzi, and Yanni, who's joining us today. Yanni is here in the recording channel with us. That's right. Yay. Uh, Thank you so uh, much, you guys. As all hunters and above are permitted to be uh, with us in the locked Discord server channels. And as Mermadeth says, yeah, more party friends. Yes. They have a good time in the Discord. Most of the time, the hunters, uh, various ones get drunk and have fascinating (laughs) conversations. (laughs) I should in the the patron questions, not involving us, yes. And I, that's true. And I do think we should reiterate because we always call them the hunters, but it's right. hunters, it's hunters and, and above. above. Yeah. Yep. Anyone who is at least a hunter level patron gets access to these Discord channels. Yep. Right. And then next Saturday, the 27th of July, we'll be doing Pagans in Need at Arts and Craft. That's right. Yep. Which we are going to be doing every other week yep. at Arts and Craft unless we're out of town. In which case, it will not be running. Right. From 9 to noon. Yes, from 9 to noon at at Arts and Craft. August 3rd, we're at Detroit Pagan Pride. Yep. That's right. For monikers and metaphorical spaces. And And speaking with symbols. Yes. Yep. That's it. That's it. That's all the housekeeping. That's all the housekeeping. Are we not going to talk about what's coming up in September? Pagan Fires. And we're going to be going there in September. It's the end of September. September 26th through the 29th, east of Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Ohio. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, we're going to be teaching monikers and metaphorical spaces there as well. Yes. Yeah. There's a pretty cool commercial that is actually on our Facebook page, which yeah. is a video, which they we have were kind of thrilled because a we... very cool commercial, probably the coolest like pagan event ad I've ever seen. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And and I was shocked because our name was yeah. right on there. <laughs> our name's on and there. I was like, oh. Oh, okay, I guess it is official. <laughs> We're in the ad literature. We're in the ad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's cool. All right, anyway. so that's it. All right, so yeah, that's all that's our it. housekeeping. Yep. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Now we can move on to the real content. And it uh, it didn't take us half as long as it usually does. I know. So, Lunasad or Lamas. Right. Uh, it, it has a whole bunch of names. Lunasad is the one names. I default to. Same. I always call it Lunasad. Do you want to give a basic overview of what it is? Just a reminder? I mean, so there are three... As usual, there are three festivals very similar to each other. Uh, this is the first of three harvest festivals. Uh, it is the first harvest or first fruits festival. Mm-hmm. And as we discussed last year, it's called Lunasa in some places because it's based on an actual Celtic festival, Lunasa or Luz Assembly, which was a great big party, a, a, a party and mm-hmm. like an assemblage of tribes where everybody would sort of get together and deal with their shit, and harvesting happened, and it was a big, dramatic event mm-hmm. uh, celebrating Lou and his foster mother, Teltu. Right. Yep. And they do games and all yeah. kinds of cool things. Games and, and plays. Food, and of course. Food, right. Because, you know, food. Feasts, Feasts and bonfires, bonfires. and uh, all that kind of stuff happened during the traditional Lunasa. Modern Lunasa is not super connected to ancient Lunasa. Mm-hmm. I mean, some, like, Celtic Reconstructionists, obviously do their best. 
right to to do, I do a, try to to, <laughs> to do to do a an ancient inspired Lunasa. But modern pagans, for the most part, just do essentially like Thanksgiving light. <laughs> kind of like, for instance, when I was looking up the you know a refresher of Lunasa mm-hmm. because of how I do my practice, right? It's you really don't, not a, it's, it's not, not a major a, an important holiday important for you. holiday for me. So I had to remind myself what it was all about. <laughs> what I saw was that it really is a time that you can also think about your hopes and fears for that first harvest because and growing up as a the country grand, girl. the grand, yeah a country girl but also the granddaughter of a farmer there is this kind of amount of hope and fear that kind of goes with planting and tending to this to your fields and to your garden and watching it grow and hoping for the best and hoping the weather doesn't fuck you over like it has that like it year. has this year for so many farmers in Michigan and other places in the country you get to the first harvest and you either have a celebration or you're like okay well right. let's see what we can save well mistakes were made mistakes were made so i right I you either have like a bountiful harvest or a salvage operation exactly at least from what i was seeing you can you can use this time to kind of look at what seeds have you planted in your own life and how have you put your hopes into there have you allowed your fears to overcome what you wanted to harvest yeah one of the things i think is interesting so as i've been doing with every holiday this this time around i've been trying to find like what's the real actual reason to mm-hmm. celebrate this mm-hmm. other than just like habit yeah. right because like i don't have the like emotional fortitude <laughs> to celebrate the same thing three times in a row same so i'm like oh good more bonfires yay yeah. why am i here your brother he actually right. one of his deities is, is lou. lou so for him he just like honors lou at this time yes. but i don't work with lou so like that's kind of a exactly I, i'm sort of disassociated from that aspect of it from mm-hmm. the aspects the same thing i have with uh brigitte's holiday yeah with where, like with Imbolc, where i don't work with brigitte so i had to find other reasons to do these holidays mm-hmm. so the thing i sort of focused on for lunasa this year was struggle and overcoming adversity mm-hmm. in traditional lunasa in ancient celtic lunasa one of the plays that went on one of the sort of mythological structures of the holiday was that lou the god had to fight another god for access to the grain harvest mm-hmm. slash access to a woman. It varied. Right. <laughs> and grain, grain, woman. grain, woman, basically interchangeable mythologically. Kind of. In a lot of cases, yeah. yeah. In a lot of cases, um, grain deities were personified as uh, young female deities. Lu and this dark god, whose name changed a lot, but who was thought to maybe be a representative of an underworld deity, mm-hmm. would have this fight over the wheat and at some stage Lou would be defeated and imprisoned and there would be like a difficult period and then Lou would rise and overcome Mm. and gain access to the wheat and bring it back to humanity right and so that was sort of the mythological cycle of or one of the little the mythological cycles one of the stories that was told at Lunasoc and so I thought about that I thought about John Barleycorn John Barleycorn poor John who suffers so much during the harvest car is over there shaking his (laughs) head head. like I thought we weren't gonna have to listen about John we're not going to listen to John Barleycorn. I'm just referring <laughs> you to the fact think. that John Barleycorn also struggles and overcomes adversity. You would think a dude who loves beer as much as your father does would be, into John, would be into John Barleycorn. No? Nothing? <laughs> no. So I was thinking about that, and I was also thinking about the fact that, so like in spring, one of the things I focused on was the work that goes into sowing seeds. Mm-hmm. Like that it's not like a... That spring, although it is a a joyful time, is also a time of doing hard work. Mm -hmm. And then summer is almost like a relaxation. Not completely, because you still have to, like, tend to your crops. crops But it's not mm -hmm. as intense because you're waiting for things to grow right mm-hmm. it's almost mm-hmm. like a like a holding period yes where you wait for things to grow and come to fruition and then harvest starting at lunasa and continuing on through the subsequent harvests is when you have to get back into the nitty-gritty day-to-day struggle and work and the the hard process of reaping and gathering in your harvest. So like in the same way that spring is a time of hard work and dedication to the cause, harvest is in a different way equally difficult. Mm -hmm. And I can confirm that again as As, as farmer descended. As farmer's (laughs) descendant. That is, that is something as you're, even as you're describing it, yes, that is what I saw play out in my, in my grandfather's and in my uncle's farms Mm -hmm. is they would find other tasks Mm -hmm. during that kind of downtime 
taking care of the animals mm-hmm. and, and watching over the, you the watch crops. the crops you, and you, you make still sure tend to them but. yeah you do pest control mm-hmm. and you maintenance type right. of things but otherwise you have to sit there and wait right you it's, have it's to hurry just, up and wait it's hurry up and wait you have to wait for the process of growing mm-hmm. and for the sun to do its job and the rain and all the right. irrigation or whatever you do so yeah it is totally what you were talking about so i think it's like we tend to think of harvests as times of bounty and mm-hmm. like pleasure and satisfaction and like everything came to pass. I've manifested all the things I wanted. But not always. But well, yes. First of all, not always. Sometimes there are crop failures, obviously. Mm-hmm. But second of all, that manifestation doesn't just happen. Mm-hmm. Like just because the crops are ripe doesn't mean they're going to just suddenly spontaneously fill your grain silo. You have to go out and do the work yep. of bringing that in home. And I think sometimes people forget that. They skip that mm-hmm. part. Well, I think that's true of everything, though. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I'm, right. I mean, I'm, I'm using put... the grain metaphor, but I'm speaking right. very broadly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying like any harvest that mm-hmm. you would get requires a lot of work in order for that to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Things just don't spontaneously appear right. in front of you or very rarely spontaneously right. appear right in front of you. But I think in a metaphysical or emotional sense, sometimes we tend people, to, people want think of it that way. That to be the case. I think especially in the Western Hemisphere, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the West as they call it, right. us here in America, we do expect things to like to just kind instantly of happen. happen because mm-hmm. that's the way our society is based. You know, you go to a place to get a meal, and if it's not there within a certain within like of time, fifteen minutes, you're like, you're, "This is taking too long." Off. Right? Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, "Well, maybe it needs to be cooked more because right, you know, like someone's back there in the kitchen." <laughs> right. There is an element of this this idea of instant gratification, mm-hmm. and I think that causes issues for for pagans and yep. witches when they're spellcraft and they're rich. And in their spiritual experience. And I think this is something that maybe even afflicts pagans and witches especially more than it afflicts people who have a more secular view. Mm -hmm. Because, like, as witches, as pagans, as people who do magic or who believe in, you know, the power of prayer or whatever. Whatever. We tend to think that we can just sort of will things to happen. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's not really the case. You can alter probabilities. Mm -hmm. You can encourage changes, but you still have to go out and do do the the physical, real-world work of the thing Mm -hmm. or nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people do, like, a spell and then they get frustrated when nothing happens, Mm -hmm. but, like, they did a spell to get a job and then didn't put out any applications. Exactly. Right? Like, you have to do both things. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You have to do both things or nothing happens because if you don't give your spell the real world work mm-hmm. to to work on to right. manifest to in. manifest through mm-hmm. yeah then it just floats out there in the ether with nothing to grip yep. mm-hmm. so a couple agree. of things from the discord squeaky said could be a bit of pop culture there you know the witch is uncharmed harry potter mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. and it's done that's a very good point yep, yep. sadly yanni asked who is john barleycorn <laughs> So John Barleycorn is the personification of the barley crop. You see a lot of John Barleycorn in European and early American folklore as a, a figure who represented the grain crop and who was brutally attacked and murdered. Murdered! Murdered several times, uh, like way overkilled in the process of reaping, threshing, and winnowing the grain and then turning it into alcohol. But he gets his revenge because everyone who is involved in his death becomes an alcoholic. <laughs> Basically. And then the next year, he is reborn, of course, as the next crop. Yeah, exactly. And I think that reminded me of the whole idea of you do have to destroy basically what you've grown in order to harvest it. A lot of times well, you have to cut it down or make it, you know, you have so to winnow it or... So, so here's something interesting that I learned while I was looking up cereal grains because mm-hmm. I'm that person. <laughs> Wheat, when it is ready to, when it's mature, it's actually at the end of its life cycle. Mm-hmm. So it's going to die whether you cut it down or not. True. Right? So like right. it's, once it has reached maturity and it's ready to be turned into a food stuff, mm-hmm. it's also reached the end of its life cycle generally. So right. you're not so much, you're not like preemptively killing this thing you've grown, right? Mm-hmm. You're transforming it from a thing that's about to die at the end of its life cycle into... A new life cycle. Into a new, into life, a new cycle, life cycle. Into food that you can eat to preserve your own life and into seed that you can plant mm-hmm. for the next season. And the truth is that, that you see that in all forms of harvesting, mm-hmm. whether it's 
it's herbs or flowers or fruit or vegetables, yep. grains. It's that part uh, of that cyclical. E- even, at least in ethical farming, mm-hmm. um, e- even livestock animals. Mm-hmm. But let's not get into that part for our vegan and vegetarian friends. <laughs> Listen, our vegan and vegetarian friends are still killing something to eat something, so I don't want to hear it. <laughs> For a harvest of a more visible <laughs> variety, look for our Tiger Lorela from the Georgia-based shop Otherworld Creations. This shop features jewelry, altarpieces, devotional art, and decorative items fashioned out of bones, teeth, claws, and fur of departed creatures. Lorelei believes that these remains have their own energy and spirit the same way that plants and stones do, and that these can be tapped into and worked with. Most of the remains used in Otherworld Creations are found already dead, and some are traded from hunters who would otherwise discard these remnants. You can follow Otherworld Creations at Instagram at Otherworld underscore Creations Co. or find them on Facebook or you can contact them directly at OtherworldCreationsCo at gmail.com for inquiries or commissions. To agree with two things. One, Myrmidev said smooth car and uh-huh. that stuck out their <laughs> nice, tongue. Nice transition. <laughs> But then Lorelai has said that new yeah, stuff. just got new, new stuff. stuff in. So new stuff in. So definitely check, check out other yeah. world creations. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There's some very very neat stuff there. That was very smooth though. Yeah. <laughs> Good transition. I'm just saying, like <laughs> take advantage of this. Let's stop an argument uh-huh. by throwing in a commercial. <laughs> it wasn't an, an argument. argument. Let's stop a heated discussion <laughs> by throwing in go. a commercial. There you go. <laughs> oh my god. Strident discussion. That's more like <laughs> right, right. And I was just standing up for my vegan and vegetarian friends who might get a little squiffed. Otherwise, I don't care. <laughs> okay, Mermadeth said, that was something that I struggled with, going back to the charmed thing. Right. That um, was something that I struggled with a lot as a teen. Like, I wanted to have powers that were like fireballs. Mm. And now as an adult, I'm like, I make really awesome parties and have friends make friends. So it's not as exciting as, as lightning bolts, bolts but, but still, still a valuable power nonetheless. That is very true. That is very true. And I think that goes back to what we were discussing, that this idea of instant gratification and people yeah. believing they put a spell out there that it should automatically happen. They've yeah. done all the work. And that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. You have to do both components of the process. And like I said, I don't think that's something that... I think it depends on the spell, but I do agree with you. No, you. I I can't think of a spell where you don't have to do both components. Like, for health, you have to also, like, eat right and go to the doctor. For love, you have to also, like, interact with this human being and be nice to them. Like, I can't think of a single spell that doesn't require some physical, real-world component. It may not be you Mm -hmm. putting... That component portion, maybe not, but yes, like something, something something has has to to happen, and and if it's not going to happen on its own, you got to go out and just do the damn thing. Right? Kiki says, "I put a spell on you, and now you're mine." Uh, And then Mermaid says, "The next day, why didn't they call? Well, did you ask them? I've never spoken to them." Yeah, that's uh, (laughs) yeah, that's that's exactly it. It's uh, and you see, you actually do see a lot of this in love spells where people will put a love spell out there, especially if it's targeted at a specific person, and then they will sit in their home and have no interaction with this person, Mm -hmm. or Or, like they'll put out a general spell like I want to make myself more attractive to the gender I'm attracted to, and then then like don't put themselves out. They won't go to the bar or whatever, or they won't like a makeover. Do something to spruce yourself up and then go out. That's actually yeah, that is actually how most effective like glamours and things work mm-hmm. like you don't just do the the glamour magic you put the glamour magic on the makeup or the jewelry mm-hmm. or the hair thing you're doing or whatever like yeah. it's all it's all a combined process but may i say we mm-hmm. have now digressed from lunasad a little bit no but <laughs> a, a little bit but no I, I really do think that that that's a part of, because people really do focus on on harvest at times of bounty and success and celebration mm-hmm. and sort of thanksgiving light and especially during the first harvest i think that's really the time Mm -hmm. like maybe later in the harvest cycle it's time to be like woo we did it like the third harvest festival it's time to be like we succeeded we brought in all the harvest we're prepared for winter but this one is okay now the growing is done and Mm. it's time to go get your shit in Mm -hmm. i think it also can be a time if things did not go to plan yes if you had a bad season time to run the salvage operation you do a salvage operation and if you have to release something this is a good time where you can gather whatever it Mm. is the remnants of what's left that needs to be released and that can be something that you do at lunasai as you 
rescue you rescue what you can and release the rest. Yeah, of if it. your if your crops were blighted, mm-hmm. and uh, we're obviously we're speaking metaphorically, right? Speaking but of, this is a good time to do that. Speaking of metaphors related to harvest, you know the saying "one bad apple." Mm-hmm. The whole actual you often see people saying this in terms of like, well, it was just one bad apple in this group, right? Mm-hmm. But the full saying is "one bad apple spoils the bunch," and that is a literal actual nature fact. Yes, it's true. That one apple going bad in a barrel will, within like 24 hours, spoil all of the apples in the barrel. It's just something the way that apples chemically react to each other. You'll notice this in a bag of apples. Uh-huh. Even. If you get one, if you get a bag of apples from the grocery and store. And one of them is bad. one of them is bad, it won't take long for the rest of them to also go bad. Yeah. Astonishingly quickly, apples respond but, to each other by going bad. But you remove that. Exactly. Removing the bad apple completely from the entire take and then mm-hmm. checking all the other apples to make sure none of them have started to go bad is Mm -hmm. the important part of that is what's intended by that phrase and i think that's another important thing to remember here sometimes like there's a little piece of your life that's going bad and if you don't sort that shit out now it will snowball into destroying the rest of your life so i think there are also people in your life who are that bad apple and sometimes it's better just to just to cut them out and Mm -hmm. be done with it Yep. And if a lunasad ritual is a time where you can do that, like in your own mind, build that barrier mm-hmm. of, okay, this is someone who is not healthy in my life. Yep. I need to put up barriers with this person. A lunasad ritual might be the best time to do it. Yeah. Because it's the time when you're most likely, you know, because you're examining your crop, right? As you're bringing right. it in. Yep. This is when you're going to, to realize, oop, we have a bad apple mm-hmm. and you cannot afford, if you want the rest of your harvest to be bountiful exactly. moving forward. And if you don't want to destroy the rest of your crop, Mm -hmm. you have to deal with that now. That's right. You have to go through and you salvage what you can Mm -hmm. so it can grow and you remove the rest. And that means getting rid of it. Mm -hmm. I guess another important thing for early harvest stuff is that although stage one of bringing in your harvest Mm -hmm. is to start filling the grain silo and making bread and, you know, preparing Mm -hmm. to turn this into food, part of it actually has to be saved Mm -hmm. and not turned into food, but preserved as seed for the next year. Yeah, for not only for planting, but possibly for feeding animals, livestock, that kind of thing, depending on the type of grain that you're preserving. Yeah, on the type of crop Mm -hmm. you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. An important component of this that I think, again, is sometimes overlooked, Mm -hmm. is that not everything you harvest is going to be immediately useful to Mm -hmm. you. So even once you've done the work and brought it all in and, you know, gotten your harvest, some of it has to be saved for the future. And some of it has to be aged Mm -hmm. and reworked and made into something else that mm-hmm. will be useful to you. Transformed. Aged like beer. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Sorry, I'll start paying attention now. <laughs> something I was thinking about and that I wanted to float to you guys is that there's, in an abstract way, because again, I'm, I'm very, very feeling very abstract about the holidays We're being very abstract today, people. <laughs> the storing grain as seed to prepare it for the next season, I think has like an almost a generational or an ancestral quality to it, mm-hmm. where going back to that sort of this crop is dead and it's time to cut it down. You are almost... This is this would be a time to prepare the next lay things in for the next generation, mm-hmm. or to prepare things for prepare to be a good ancestor yourself. Mm-hmm. But like this is something that I think we don't think about a whole lot in terms of ancestor worship is the fact that eventually we're going to be mm-hmm. ancestors. Mm-hmm. Like even if you don't like, I'm not planning to have children, right? So I'm not going to have direct descendants. But that doesn't mean I won't be an ancestor when I'm dead, available to people in my tradition. Or mm-hmm. people listen to the people podcast. who listen to the podcast, mm-hmm. yeah, right. who discover it after my death and are like, "Yes, this person I relate to right. should be able to summon me to their altar and you know and mm-hmm. get responses from me." Right. And so, part of your job as a living person is to prepare to be a good ancestor moving forward because mm-hmm. everyone's going to die. And I think that includes, and it doesn't have to be children or descendants. It can be friends. It can no, that's be, what I'm. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the the ancestors of choice. As yeah, it were. the ancestors. So I think like Lunasad, because it has that component to Mm -hmm. it, that element of preserving things for the future is maybe a good time to do work on yourself that you've been Mm -hmm. maybe delaying that will make you a better ancestor or Mm -hmm. to do shadow work that'll make you uh, a more reliable ancestor uh, Mm -hmm. for people who work with you to just sort of do the work necessary to make yourself a better and more reliable resource for future Mm -hmm. generations. Because ultimately that's kind of what we're all here to do doing. Mm -hmm. Like, like that may not be what you're here to do. Mm-hmm. You may have some other like purpose for your True. life. 
But at the end of your life, that's where you'll be. Right. Right. Where right. you'll be at the end of your life, no matter what you do during it, is an ancestor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I discovered a thing where it talks about the will of the year being not just mm-hmm. a cyclical year. Right. But also being the wheel of our lives. Mm-hmm. Right. Talk about that, because I have never... How, how we go through our lives. So, like, Gwen and I are now kind of in our lunasad. Mm-hmm. You know, we're hair starting to turn gray, mm-hmm. our muscles and joints crack and pop and make weird noises. And, <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we've, we're moving into this cycle where we're looking at, we're going to be ancestors and not right. very, that very you're, much You're longer. facing up to mortality. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 20, 30 years from mm-hmm. now. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So slowly. You're sort, of, you're sort of two thirds of the way through your life. Right. Yeah. 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 So, exactly. you know, we're somewhat leaders in our community. Mm-hmm. We're not ready to step down and let the next group take over necessarily. Because you've sort of just stepped into that right. position. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but that's why it's But uh, we don't have the same side. energy we used to. We need to allow kind of the, the incoming generation to kind of lift that Mm -hmm. to tote that bail Mm -hmm. that we've been doing. Mm -hmm. We need to like start thinking to ourselves like how do I express my creativity? How do we how do we leave behind something uh, that 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 adds beauty, Mm -hmm. color, and richness to in this case paganism. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's that's really good because Lou is also a god of the arts. Uh, Well a god of basically everything. Many 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 skills. So any kind of of skill, task, talent could be practiced at this time. Right. There's actually a story of Lou going to see the king. Mm. Okay. And Lou goes to see the king and he gets to the door and the gatekeeper says, well, we only allow one uh, forger in and we only allow one quilter in and we only allow one. So what are you? And Lou says, well, I'm all of those. How many do you have that can do everything? <laughs> and the guy was like, all right, we'll go ahead in. I mean, fair enough, Mr. Right, Polymath. Exactly. Come right. on in. Well, and it's like I was saying earlier that our son, Lou, yep. is one of the deities that he works with. And so I know that for him, He's told me in the past that Lunasad is about projects for him. Yeah. He, whether it's he quilting, does quilting or, or baking or whatever. Yeah. Some kind of activity that deals with creativity. It could mm-hmm. be drawing. It could be. And in anybody's case, like for me, it could be writing. Right. Singing. Singing. Doesn't have to be a permanent craft. Drumming, because Carr is yep. getting into drumming. I think that's a great idea, a great point of using this time to leave a legacy or create so, a legacy to leave. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I do have a question for you. Uh-huh. So I was just saying you know, to honor Lou, you could do sort of anything. It doesn't have to be something permanent that leaves a permanent mark behind, right? Right. Um, It can be something temporary. Uh, It can be singing. Whatever. Like, right. Mm-hmm. But do you, because you're thinking of, of Lunasa as this time to sort of be making legacies, do you think you should do some, something permanent during yeah. Lunasa? And I think I am. I think the podcast for me is... Right, because it's going to be archived on, on right. the internet forever. Right. So, I mean, you know, this is kind of where I've ended up. Mm-hmm. You know, I've used in and creating Three Pagans and a Cat. Us doing this is mm-hmm. using all of the skills I've developed over the years right. to put this together in a way that, you know, works. Right. And it sounds whole, good to listen to. Right. And yeah, the exactly. Whole, and the whole purpose of the podcast is to benefit the pagan community. We it's want, certain, we, that's it's, certainly become its purpose. It's become its, yeah, well, true. Right. We it wasn't why out, we started. Yeah, we didn't start out that way. It, but it's, it, become, it's grown into that. It's yeah. grown into a thing that we want to serve the pagan community, mm-hmm. and this is how we do it. Yeah. So, so I guess my whole point is, if you have an interest or an urge to develop a particular skill mm-hmm. or a creative outlet or something like that, Lunacy. now might be the time to make a pledge and commit yourself to pursuing that interest and by offering those fruits of labor back to the universe, which will enrich both yourself and the world around you. Mm -hmm. So I've actually encountered something that I think is related to this when I do readings for people, where sometimes the advice that someone will get is cultivate a hobby. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the, the deck will be like, it's time for you to stop thinking about this and find a new hobby to, mm-hmm. to pursue. And almost every time the response I get back is that they don't have hobbies. Yes. That they're not interested in anything. Same. And that's such an interest. Like, I've never been that person. I've always had several hobbies. Mm-hmm. So my time is always booked with tasks or hobbies. So it's hard for me to relate to this, right? But the closest I can come to this is maybe thinking that people are so caught up in consuming media or consuming other people, the fruits of other people's labors, mm-hmm. that it's that they've forgotten how to or never learned how to create their things own. of their own, to, to create their own content, right? right. For right. other people or for even themselves to consume. Consume, right. right. Because like when I like I write things, I write little fiction things for myself. And when I go back and read them to myself, like a year later, when I've forgotten what I've written, I'm always like, oh, 
this is charming. I'm glad I wrote this. <laughs> so you can even enjoy the fruits of your own labors, right? As long as you give it a little bit to forget what you wrote, you know, stuff right. like that. So I think for some reason, and like, again, I, I can't relate to this. So it's hard for me to pin down what exactly is causing this inability to focus shift for people. But I've encountered several people who claim that they don't have hobbies and that they're not interested in anything. Well, I think it starts, honestly, with the fact that we live in a culture that is going 100 miles per hour right. throughout the day, whether it's school or, or work. work but or you, school and work. Or school, school and work. work, yeah. You've got a lot of people who, I mean, I know there are people who do like sports and, right. and things like that, but I think what's missing for a lot of people are creative hobbies, yeah. which will give them a sense of relaxation instead of something Or a that, sense of accomplishment. A sense of accomplishment. I think people are so involved in activities that are go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. They've lost the capacity to even think, to even consider taking something that would be a creative endeavor that could A, either be just for themselves mm-hmm. or be something that's quiet and done just for the joy of doing it. Moonstone Reverie actually just pointed out something that's very, very relevant. I'm that person, except I want a million different hobbies, but I'm also hella impatient and get frustrated with my inability to just do it after like a day. Mm. Yikes. Yeah. And that's actually something I used to struggle with. It was the reason I didn't, that like I would do these things for myself to a limited degree, but I wouldn't share them with anyone because I wasn't satisfied with my output. Right. Mm-hmm. So like I would, I would scribble in my notebook or whatever, but I wouldn't sit down and make art because that right. made it something that I was actually like putting effort into. And if the effort I put in wasn't resulting in like a perfect result, I felt like I was wasting my time. Mm. And I think that's something you have to sort of work through for yourself in shadow work mm-hmm. it's it's a, eventually i came to the understanding that done was better than perfect Mm-hmm. that perfect was unattainable and that if I kept trying for perfect, I would never be done and that I could enjoy things that weren't perfect. Right. And that if I don't start, I will never finish. Right. So just do the thing. And that was a really important thing for me to finally just sort of internalize. I know that those are hard things to accept, especially if you have a sort of a perfectionist framework, which I did for a long, long time. Don't know where it came from because neither of my parents I- insisted on perfection from me. No. <laughs> were- but I think we kind of emulated we both are somewhat mm-hmm. perfectionists sort of, so yeah. yeah though we never enforced it on you right kind of saw it i just, I just sort of picked it up right yeah. yeah my son is the same yeah it's a family trait yeah <laughs> that that we've all had to work hard to overcome but like this podcast isn't perfect no no like yeah, close even like i do very close edits on the podcast i make sure that it sounds as good as it can Right, given the my constraints that we given have. the constraints that we have and the level of skill that I have in, in audio editing, which is not a tremendous amount of skill. It's a it's a passable amount of skill. So I do the best that I can, and then I just accept that, like, well, it has to go up at seven p.m., so it's done now. Right. <laughs> and I, on the other hand, we would never get the podcast yep. up at seven p.m. The reason why Ode took it over is because I am capable of saying it's done now. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And so consequently, I don't listen to the podcast after mm-hmm. it's posted. I don't go back and listen yeah, to them car, because... Car never listens to the finished product. Because it would frustrate the tar out of me. Mm-hmm. Not that Ode doesn't do a great job. It's just that I know I would hear things and go, mm-hmm. oh, I listened to the ones I did. I'm like, dang it, I should have fixed that. I, mm-hmm. you know. I want to say Squeaky also commented saying, I have interests. I want to learn to play an instrument. I want to paint more. I want to get into candle making. I want to write a novel. I'm with you on that one. And then says, but instead I play video games and take naps. And I think that is also a a factor. It can be hard to get started on something. It can definitely be hard to start creating instead of consuming. Yeah. And I think because we live in a consumer-driven society. I've made Odin Gwyn a promise because I work a Mm full-time 40-plus hour a week job Mm -hmm. that when I get home every day, I'm going to take an hour to eat and consume some kind of media. Yep. And then I I am going to spend two hours on three-pack stuff, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to go back to consuming media before bedtime, but I have to make that plan. I have to mm-hmm. focus on it, because if I don't, I will just consume media the entire time. Because that's mm-hmm. passive. It's, it's much passive. easier to right. consume media than to create media. You and use different parts of your brain. Yep. And I think that's what it comes down to for mm-hmm. most people, and we live in a, as I said, in a, a consumer-driven society. Yep. But I think for Lunasad, if you want to start something new, mm-hmm. if you want 
want to branch out into something creative, pick something and uh, do it. Because I've had a lot of people tell me that they're not interested in doing any of these things, right? I, right. I've like I'll make suggestions like, well, have you tried writing something? It doesn't have to be elaborate. You could just write your thoughts down. Or have mm. you tried drawing something? It doesn't have to be good. You could just write, draw little stick figures. And every time I hear, why well, don't know how to do that? I'm mm-hmm. not interested in doing that. That's not me. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just have to pick something, pick something. Right. and just create something. And I think just to also, sort of kickstart the process. And I think it comes down to just picking it and just mm-hmm. doing it. They say that music is the universal language, and our tiger Alora Driver is ready to speak to you with the music of Aqua Girl. Aqua Girl is an indie pop musician with a very chill, listenable synth tone married to lyrics that are by turns hopeful and honest. All of Aqua Girl's tracks have their charm, but Ode suggests In a Dark Room, a melancholy study of living through and with dysphoria. You can find Aqua Girl at aqua-girl.bandcamp.com. You taught me how to love myself in a dark room. You taught me how to bleed, bleed. Breathe in, breathe out. I'm going back and forth, so now I'll breathe in, breathe in. So we're going to be reviewing a few things, I guess, from uh, Michigan Pagan Fest. Right. Some stuff from Oracle's Apothecary. That's right. Oracle's Apothecary, which the young lady who runs Oracle's mm-hmm. Apothecary. She's Oracle. Oracle. Yes. <laughs> she shall be called. And uh, she's a great lady. She's very, very creative. And she started out just a few years ago with maybe one or two she had, soap items. Yeah, she had a, a hyssop and lemongrass soap. Mm-hmm. And I think she also had a, a few other hyssop and lemongrass items. But that She was, had a floor wash. She had a floor wash, yeah. Yep. Uh, and a soap and maybe one other thing, maybe mm-hmm. a body I butter or something. Maybe a body butter. But that was all she had, and she was just sort of experimenting with them. Mm-hmm. And, and we have seen her at future events uh, since then, and her her stock has expanded widely. Yes. She's also also improved her formulas. Mm-hmm. The the first thing I tried from Oracle's Apothecary was the hyssop and lemongrass soap. And I liked it. It was a little bit too rough for my skin. Not but I me. know that Ode loved it. It was just perfect for Ode's skin. I, I, I like, like things that are uh, textured and scratchy. I like the scent. But it's also, it's a cleansing soap. In fact, Oracle now has a soap as well as the floor wash mm-hmm. as well as a candle. Yes. And the name of it is actually called Let's Clean House yeah. because it is specifically designed for cleaning negative energy from your body, from your home, that kind of and thing. And I can't tell you how much I love just conceptually a cleansing soap. Mm-hmm. Because so many people do, like, take cleansing baths or showers or whatever, and just adding some hyssop and lemongrass into that situation mm-hmm. is just choice. It's right. Chef and kiss. It- and if you, um, you can use it as a daily soap, but also if you just like, especially if you have a stressful mm-hmm. job or if you do, you're going through a difficult time in your life. Wash up all the bad. Wash up, wash it all off, man. Every day. Yeah. I, I recommend mm-hmm. that. And then the first time that we met Oracle, the floor wash was actually in a, it was a jar of the herbs. Yeah. And then you would put it in a, put it in, in a pot of water. Of water. Yep, yep. And you'd boil it. And then you could use the floor washes. And while the, yeah, while the fumes, the fumes are cleansing the, the water, yeah. and you can wash your floors, your Which walls. Which is actually a really interesting concept. It yeah. is. I like that. But now I, I think she also has it available already pre, pre-mixed. Boiled. Yeah. <laughs> pre-mixed. More so, like a Florida water. Yeah, exactly. That I just love. I love mm-hmm. everything from that line, the Let's Clean House. I also tried though one of her new soaps. Yes. And that one is called Lady out and that is a lavender and eucalyptus soap and it again it has the bits it has right. the texture you know, the texture of that's the how you herbs. can tell it's legit it's got real herbs in it exactly yeah. and then various essential oils and yeah. and uh, things like that with an olive oil base I believe for the soap itself and it is so smooth it lathers beautifully it is not abrasive on my skin at all it's mm-hmm. perfect it gives me just enough exfoliation but the scent is meant to help you just relax 
And it really does. I absolutely love it. I think it was at Oracle's Apothecary where I tried a little bit of uh, of one of her lotions. Because mm-hmm. I'm normally very anti- Yeah, body yeah. balm. I'm very anti-stuff being on my skin. Uh, anything. 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 Any stuff on my skin is bad. Bad news. But I tried it because I'm usually willing to at least try it and then just like go scrub my skin off. But uh, the, this didn't leave any residue behind on my skin. It actually just mm-hmm. like absorbed into my skin and I didn't have any like oily texture left behind. So it was even acceptable for me. I would highly recommend you go check out Oracle's Apothecary mm-hmm. at www.oraclesapothecary.com. That's O-R-A-C-L-E-S-A-P-O-T-H-E-C-A-R-Y.com. Check it out. Yeah, Buy we, some stuff. You're going to love it. We I, like Oracle stuff. We it's love really it. nice. Oracle is a wonderful lady. Yeah, yep. uh, she's a mom. She and she does readings as well. When yeah, she, yeah. When yep. she uh, it's is, the oracle part is right. sen- is selling her wares at various pagan events. So check it out. You'll love it. Yep. yep. And then I just I I know why the body body worked for you. Okay. It's because there's no shea, ah. no coconut, and it's nut free. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have any all the of those oily, oily stuff, stuff mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. And I do love it. I tried some of it myself, mm-hmm. and I, that's the next it product just, from Oracle I'm going to be buying. It, it, it just absorbs seamlessly into the skin in like 10 seconds or something, and then I don't have to think about it ever again. It's great. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so definitely, definitely check out Oracle's Apothecary. Mm-hmm. It's great stuff. Yep. That's it for reviews. Mermidith makes a good point. That it's also worthwhile to be gentle with yourself with chronic pain, illness, bad days. There's a lot of times where I know I can't do it great or at all, and I have to put it down or do it as well as I can. I had a show where I was doing a new number, but I was sick for three weeks during that show cycle. So instead of choreographing, I knew I could decorate the dress. There you go. And I did want to point out that I'm not saying, like, stop consuming content. No, 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 not at all. You should do these things together. You should consume content Mm -hmm. and create content because... There's a balance. There's in a that. there's a good balance there. Like the best writers are readers, right? That's that's pretty yep. common knowledge, I think. Because the more content you consume, the more emotional threads you're sort of weaving into the the tapestry of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what you're gonna pull content from when you're creating. Mm-hmm. So fill yourself up with content and then remix it and create something out of it, basically. That's right. That's right. Cool. <laughs> now that we went on that whole long tangent whole about long tangent. consumerism yeah. and <laughs> and creation. And Lou is, yeah, is the god of crafts and, right. and creation. To bring it so. back to yeah. Luna's side. Yeah. <laughs> and legacy, because part of that was legacy. And I think a lot of people, because they don't create things, either because they don't know how or because they're out of the habit or whatever, they don't know how to leave a legacy. And so sort of they default to like, well, I'll try to make as much money as humanly possible. Possible and just leave that to right. my mm-hmm. descendants, and that'll be good enough, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, in the creating things vein, mm-hmm. did you know that? I mean, you know this. In Norse lore, Odin hung from Yggdrasil, uh-huh. the world tree, for nine days and nights, so that he could be maybe granted wisdom. Correct? Yes. Did you know that Yggdrasil was an ash tree? Yes. Yeah, there we go. Did you know that the spear of Odin was made from an ash tree? Yes. Yeah, ash tree is actually, uh, and ash is the first man. Uh, it's ash and elm. Mm. Yeah, ash go. trees actually feature a lot in Norse mythology. Mm. <laughs> so Lou and his warriors carried spears made of ash. Interesting. In Greek mythology, the tale of Melia, mm-hmm. the nymphs that were associated with Uranus, said that they made their homes in ash trees. Also, I think at some point someone was turned into an ash tree. Probably. They usually were. Yes, this happened often in Greek mythology. Ash trees or willows. Uh-huh. Out of the five sacred trees that stood guard over Ireland in mythology, mm-hmm. three of them were ash trees. Really? Uh-huh. What were the other two? Oak and elm. That See, in sense. my brain, I just assumed that they were all different nope. types of trees. Yep. But I guess the ash just outnumbered everyone. Yep. yep. A little bit of ash. Ash tree w- ash knowledge. Ash tree knowledge, yeah. So Folklore. Folklore. That's a good thing. <laughs> Newborn babies in the British Isles were given a spoonful of ash sap before leaving their mother's bed for the first time to prevent disease and infant mortality. Wow. Interesting. Placing ash berries in a cradle protects the child from being taken away to be a changeling by a mischievous fae. You do have to watch out for that. You do. Sounds like ash are very protective of children. Yes. Mm-hmm. But here's the big thing. This mm-hmm. is why I'm getting around to this creating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that I really want to do wood carving. Yes. Yes. This is something Carr's been interested in for years. Years, years, years. years. So in some druidic traditions, including mine, it is customary to use the branch of an ash to make a magical staff. 
The staff becomes, in essence, a portable version of the world tree, connecting the user to the realms of earth and sky. Oh, interesting. So, so your branch that you have is actually an apple. apple. It mm-hmm. is. So that's going to be my practice one. Ah, and then you're going to try and get, get some ash. Yep. He's been patiently waiting for you uh-huh. to craft it. It's been drying. Something. Yeah, it's been drying for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's probably ready. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's probably seasoned. I think so. And now that we've talked about that, there are other things you can craft with. Mm-hmm. And some of those are available in oats, stone, corner. That's actually a good segue because uh, the stone we're talking about, topaz, can actually be carved. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about topaz today. It is a silicate mineral composed primarily of aluminum and fluorine. It is a Mose 8, which is pretty hard. It's actually the hardest silicate mineral on Earth. Unfortunately, topaz has a really weak and irregular atomic bond. So if you hit it, it, it fractures very easily. So although it is a high hardness at a Mose 8, it's not a Mose 10, but it's a Mose 8, which is pretty hard. It is fracturable with uh, surprising ease considering its level of hardness. So mm-hmm. you don't want to smack a topaz into anything. Like hematite, it will just kind of snap. Powder. <laughs> well, no, um, but it'll chip very chip. easily. Yeah. Gotcha. Natural topaz is a golden brown to yellow color. The various impurities in topaz and various treatments can result in different colors. I think most people think that topaz is blue. Mm-hmm. Blue topaz is actually very rare naturally, but it is the color that you'll see most often in gem markets because it is irradiated and heat treated. So that's not a, that's very rarely a natural blue topaz. Blue topaz is very, very pale. It's very, very rare. And most of the dark blue or bright blue topaz that you see on the market was colorless or pale colored topaz that has been irradiated to turn it blue and then heat treated to preserve the color. And they will fade if left in bright sunlight over time. Various impurities can result in wine red or red orange topazes, Hmm. in pale gray and pale green topazes, and very rarely in pink topaz. That would be nice. And again, very rarely in a pale blue. It's also got a low refraction index, so it's a fairly dull stone. Like, it's transparent. You can see through it. But it doesn't sparkle unless it's cut in very specific ways, and and it is a a brilliant quality topaz. Mm. So most topaz has sort of a dull quality to it, where even though it's more like a matte finish as opposed to no, a shiny it's not, finish? No, I mean, it's it'll still be shiny if it's cut because it's transparent, but it, it won't sparkle the way that like okay. a diamond sparkles. Okay. It has a low refract, so light doesn't refract through it oh, okay, gotcha. very strongly. Also, sometimes you will find quote-unquote topaz being sold, which is actually citrine. The color of a heat-treated citrine, which is an amethyst that's been heat-treated, and a golden brown natural topaz is very similar. So if you see anything being sold as topaz with a prefix, like Brazilian topaz or brahi topaz or golden topaz or something like that. Aside from imperial topaz, which is a specific kind of yellow golden brown topaz, it is probably actually a citrine that is being misrepresented as topaz. Is topaz more expensive? Topaz is much more expensive. So that's why it would be misrepresented. Citrine is very, very cheap. Now, now, citrine's got its own good qualities. It's got wonderful qualities, but (laughs) it is not topaz. Uh, Although topaz is very, very abundant, Mm -hmm. especially Especially high quality, like nice topaz mm-hmm. is much more expensive than citrine is. So that's why you'll find citrine, especially citrine that is heat treated amethyst um, because it gets at that darker orangey color right? rather than the sort of honey gold color that natural citrine has will be missold as topaz. And our uh, in-house... Yes, gem expert. Gem expert. Squeaky. Squeaky has said that the company that they work for doesn't work on outside topaz because they don't know how it's been treated. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. Blue, blue topaz almost certainly has been treated. There's mm-hmm. so, so, so rarely will you a find naturally a blue. naturally blue topaz. It's almost always very pale, almost colorless. And the I know of one region that has a relatively high blue topaz, but it's not commercially mined mm, interesting. Um, because it's a Precambrian site. Gotcha. So vis-a-vis its magical uses, yep. topaz does what I call intensifying, but it doesn't have any buffers. So it's like emotionally fragile. So if you have a specific thing you want to do, you can bring a topaz along, especially like a clear topaz will be good for this, a colorless topaz. You can bring a topaz along just to sort of intensify whatever it is you're doing, like a magnifying glass almost. Mm-hmm. It can be used, especially in yellow varieties, to shine on hidden issues or to discover hidden 
hidden information, so it's good for shadow work and divination. Mm -hmm. But topaz in general has almost like an anti-grounding quality. So it not only won't help you with grounding, it will sort of de-ground you. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I... You're floating out in the, in the ether. In the ether, yeah. It's very easy with a topaz because it doesn't have any of these sort of natural buffers, because it's very anti-grounding to sort of like float off into spiritual stuff, especially if you bring it with you when you're doing like journey work or something, it can be harder to get back into your body, all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So I strongly recommend pairing up a topaz with something like a hematite, some grounding stone. Some kind of a grounding stone. Uh, some grounding stone that can pull you back because topaz is going to be no good for that. Mm -hmm. But if it helps you get there... Right, exactly. Right. Then Topaz just need something to help to you get To pull that. you back, yeah. yeah. So I would use those two in conjunction. Okay, and actually, yeah. I, I do recommend hematite paired up with topaz because hematite's a very, very heavy stone. It's a really strong grounding stone. Mm -hmm. So it'll sort of balance out the intensely degrounding effect of topaz. Mm -hmm. Blue topaz, and especially this is especially true, I think, of the heat-treated, like, dark, dark blue topazes, veer really sharply in the direction of information exchange. So where like a golden brown topaz is interested in acquiring hidden information, a blue topaz is more interested in trading information between different sources. Okay. It's especially good as like a negotiator. So if you need to interact with a spirit or with a troublesome boss or employee or so like if you need to negotiate a raise or something or mm -hmm. if you need to get information from a spirit and you know it's going to want to trade something for it or something like that bring blue topaz with you to sort of facilitate that mm -hmm. it can be a little manipulative as a bargainer it's going to always try to get the most for the least so maybe don't bring it if you know you're going to be working with someone who is sensitive to that kind of thing mm -hmm. it's a good assistant if you're not good at negotiating on your own behalf. Okay. And then pink topaz, very, very rare, very hard to find, but it's kind of an outlier even in topazes where it's much more inwardly focused, so it's not as interested in getting information by any method. It's more interested in sort of intensifying and digging out stuff in you, so it's more of a shadow work stone. Right. And it's also much gentler than other topazes and less likely to deground you. Hmm. So you could maybe use a pink topaz without a grounding assistant. I still wouldn't recommend it, but you could probably use a less intense grounding assistant than a hematite. The problem with pink topaz is that it tends to be less focused than other topazes. So a yellow topaz, a blue topaz, colorless topaz, these are like laser focused stones mm -hmm. where like you give them a job and they'll, they'll by God, they'll do that job. Right. Pink topazes are sort of floaty and less certain of any individual task. So like they'll get around to it eventually, but they'll take <laughs> detours on the way. Gotcha. That's it for Odes Stone Corner! Uh, and Squeaky says, the dark blue topaz, which, yes, is called the London blue, is gorgeous and probably one of my favorite gemstones. Yeah, London blue, uh, as opposed to, I forget what the other blue is, but it starts with S. Swiss blue, maybe? Swiss yeah, Swiss blue. blue is very, very pretty. I'm very partial to the look of the London blue topaz, even though I know it's literally impossible to get in nature. <laughs> It's almost a sapphire in the intensity of its color. So gotcha. early on then in this episode, I called this a first fruits holiday. Right. Mm -hmm. And first fruits were actually a concept in ancient Greece and in ancient Israel mm -hmm. that the first fruits of the season were given to the temple, right? right? So they were given to Demeter and Kore in Greece, and they were given to Jerusalem in ancient Israel. The point of the first fruits was partly to make a sacrifice to the gods in question, right? So these things would be offered. Right. But then... Then the rest of the offering that had been provided to the temple would be sold mm -hmm. and the proceeds were used to fund the temple for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. Because for the most part, the temples did not receive tithes or taxes, especially in ancient Greece, uh, except in times of war. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking that there is a component through the first fruits relationship mm -hmm. to sort of supporting your faith or religion. Mm -hmm. or your community in Lunasa, which I think is one of those things that gets overlooked. And I don't know which I like better um, to focus on supporting your community in general, mm -hmm. which I automatically go to a pin place where I'm like, absolutely donate to donate to food pantries in your area, feed people because that's feed important. People. And this is a harvest festival. So you should be feeding everyone anyway. But I like it was explicitly in ancient Greece. It was about preserving the temple. It was about preserving the structure 
structure of the religion. Mm-hmm. And so, like, as a solitary, there's not really anything for me, there's not anything for me to contribute to, right? There's not like a, there's not an organization that I'm a part of that I could right. donate my time or resources to. Right. So I wanted to ask Carr, because you are part of a, of an organization. Like, mm-hmm. does that, does this seem like a good time to you for, for doing that? For supporting the supporting religion? Supporting ADF? Yeah, supporting the ADF. Supporting the religious structure you're, you're a part of. I don't know. I mean, I do that every year in January because that's when I renew my membership right. to the organization. And there, you know, we do have a membership fee. Right. So I do it then. You know, I don't know. It, I, I've offered to help out ADF. Mm-hmm. And have been declined. Okay. Uh, those offers of help. I'm kind of at that point where I'm like, well, okay, I'll just sit back right, here and well, see where mm-hmm. things go. If they don't need me. <laughs> right, exactly. Or maybe they just didn't need what I was offering. Right. And maybe there's something else where I can fit mm-hmm. in. Maybe that's a question I need to ask Trump. Oh, maybe. You know? yeah. like, who is the what, what do you right? need? <laughs> who is the archdruid of the ADF? Like, all right, I'm here. I'm willing to help. What do you guys need help with? Right. Mm-hmm. Rather than, I can do this for you and I can do that for you. Maybe that's more of the thing where, yeah. it's, where it's... Where can I help best right, yeah. that you right. need? Right. What are yep. your needs? Right. What are your needs and where can I help best? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Mermidith had two comments. One was, that could be a good multi-purpose, start a new project working with a local faith organization. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good point. And then she also said, I mean, aside from all of us over here, which was a good point that I like neglected. I'm not part of a like an official heathen organization because they're out there. Like, the trough isn't a super objectionable, and I could be part of them, I guess, but I choose not to be. Right. But the pride, yeah. I guess, is my right. yeah. religious slash faith organization. Like, it's that's not right. official, but it is my faith community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that's a very good point, Mermadith. And there's also, in our area, we have a local coven right. through arts and craft, and we have a local community that we can work with, that we can assist by right. offering classes. Or right, and, and we actually are going to be... We're <laughs> We're going to be leading a, the Lunasad ritual, ritual at uh, Arts and Craft on August fourth. Yeah, yeah, at Arts and Craft. Yeah. So that's one way that we're giving to the local to the local community that yeah. we're a part yeah. of. But then also, I do think being a part of PIN, mm-hmm. Pagans in Need, doing our part to help feed the community because Pagans in Need is about feeding people. people it doesn't every, have yeah. to be pagans; it's right. anybody. And I do think that is something that we should be considering not and not even just at, at Lunasad, but right? Throughout obviously. the year, obviously. Right. <laughs> but it is something that we can focus really on, yeah. focus on and what can I do right. for my community? What needs do they have? I like Mermidith's about asking what they need. Mm-hmm. I think it was Mermidith's point. Maybe it was our point. I don't know. Yeah, asking what they need instead of saying, here's what I can do. Because right. that's essentially yeah. what the First Fruits was. It yeah. was right. bring like, here's all this harvest. Now turn this into money and use it for whatever you need. Yeah, right. that's yeah. true. But yeah, I think that's an, I think that's a good point and a really good question yeah. to bring about the first fruits. Make it an offering, especially when so much of the pagan community is solitary. Yeah. You know, that we have so many solitaries and new solitaries mm-hmm. who are like, well, what can I do? What's my what's my job here? And I think if you don't have a local pagan community that you can mm-hmm. work through or, or a or local organization non-denom faith right, or, yeah. or, or a like a UU, then look into your community and find out what can you do as, you know, to do a volunteer thing. Yeah. Whether it's a food mm-hmm. pantry or helping clean up trash or something that you can do for your community yeah. Yeah. as part of your Lunasad celebration, even if it's not part of the pagan community, it's still, it's still yeah. an offering of first fruits. Right. Yep. You can enjoy the fruits of a harvest with our Tiger Crystal from Apothecary Teas. This shop provides fragrant, aesthetically beautiful teas that delight all the senses. With handcrafted tea blends from white to red to green. For this hopeful, bountiful season, try our fruity sangria tea. With rubeus, hibiscus, apple pieces, cherry, orange peels, and natural orange extract. And some natural berry apple flavor thrown in there as well. And... And it's still hot in your part of the world. Consider serving it over ice. You can find them at apothecaryteastore.com or on Facebook at Apothecary Teas. LLC. And I am going to put my support behind the sangria tea the because sangria it is delicious. Tea is very good. <laughs> it is very good. Yes, we and have some in the cupboard. Oh my god. It's very good. And I had not thought about putting it over ice, but I may be doing that tonight after we're done with the podcast. Yeah, I had never thought of putting any of these teas over ice either, but then I mm-hmm. went to the website and they are displaying like the summer collection mm-hmm. over as iced teas and I was like, that's genius. Oh my gosh. I'm going to be trying that. So delightful. I wanted to talk about 
about sunflowers oh. are very big around Lunasaw, which I found interesting, but this is when they're kind of blooming. That's true, yeah. It's, right? This isn't actually... So, interestingly, Lunasaw, not a solar festival. It's a fire festival. Right, yep. In Greek mythology, there was a maiden who fell in love with Apollo. Okay. Right? And uh, every time he passed overhead... Mm-hmm. He was a fiery chariot. Right, yeah, he had a right? he had a chariot that he carried the sun in, I think. Right, yeah. yeah. And so he apparently like slung an arrow at her and turned her into a sunflower. Rude! Yeah. Dang, Apollo! Yeah, These so gods, I tell you. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> Here in the States, the sunflower seems to have originated somewhere in South and Central America. Okay. And then migrated north with the Spanish conquistadors. Oh. Yeah. So they've actually found sunflowers back like 4,600 years in Mexico. Ooh. So I've told you all enough. Now it's time for Gwen's Garden Gems. Sunflower is one of the flowers for Lunasad because Mm -hmm. it is connected to the sun and fire as its elements. And it's also connected to uh, Sol, to Helios, to Apollo, to Demeter, as far as deities are concerned. You know, any any of the deities that are concerned with harvest or the sun. And obviously, it does look like a little sun. Right. There are 80 species of sunflower, but Holy obviously... Holy crap! Mm-hmm. But the one that everybody thinks of are the ones that grow up to the 10 foot. Yes, I thought those were the only kind. No, there's 80 different species of sunflower, but the most recognized one is the, the tall the big, one tall ones. the big, big yellow Which we have face. some down on the corner. Yeah. Yes, we do. Obviously, they're a flower that does enjoy the sun, so so you want sense. to put them in a place that gets direct sunlight for at least six to eight hours a day. They do prefer long, hot summers to flower. <laughs> so if you so live in an area... they've been very happy lately. Yes. If you live in an area that has a lot of cloud cover mm-hmm. or is very rainy, you might not be able to grow sunflowers. This is not quite. a Seattle plant. Yeah, it's not a Seattle plant. It might not be as successful there. They do have long tap roots, so they need to stretch out. So you do need... You don't want to plant them very close to each other if you want them to grow up nice and tall. Um, you do want them to be in a well-drained location and prepare your soil by digging an area of about two to three feet in circumference with a depth of about two feet when you're planting your oh, seeds. Holy shit! Yeah, I said, they grow. But besides that, they're really not fussy. They don't have to have a fancy soil. They they can thrive in slightly acidic soil. You can put in a, a slow-release fertilizer about eight inches deep into the soil. Mermidith says that sunflowers leach lead out of the soil. Oh, I did not know that. That would be a very good thing. Yeah, that's a useful quality in a plant. Yeah, yeah, and they did say if if you want to, you can obviously put the seeds directly in the ground, but you can also put them in little seed pots to grow, hmm. and then plant the small pots. the small mm-hmm. plants mm-hmm. into the ground later. You do want to make sure that they're protected from strong winds as they're growing, and so perhaps grow them along a fence or someplace yeah. where they'll have protection from the wind, especially when they get so tall. Right, the wind is will just knock them over. There's some great magic that's associated with sunflowers as well, including prosperity. It's considered, you know, you draw prosperity to your to your property if you grow sunflowers on your property. If you don't have an area where you can grow sunflowers, you can take the petals and then sprinkle them throughout your property or around to, your to property bring the same line, magic. to bring that same magic. You can use sunflower to strengthen a money spell. So you can okay. add it to the other components to draw money. Because prosperity. Exactly. You can also use sunflower for dream work as well as for clarity. If you have an issue that you're not sure what to do about and you need more clarity, you can actually use that. But it does help I, with dream work. I would not have thought of sunflowers for dream work. I know. I was really surprised by that too. But apparently you can put it into a dream pillow along with huh. some other uh, elements. Right. And it will help give you clarity not only in your dreams but also a problem that you might be needing to solve in your life. You can burn a piece of dried sunflower leaf to release something or from your life that you need mm-hmm. to get rid of or to dispel negativity. You can also use sunflower to manifest desire. So if you have a particular desire in your life, a particular intention, you can use sunflower to help manifest that in your life. So anyway, uh, that's And it. then Moonstone Reverie says sunflowers give them confidence vibes. Mm-hmm. Do you get confidence vibes from sunflower? I don't know if I'd say that they give I mean, they me do stand up very tall. They stand up very tall, but I also, I will say the one thing that I read about sunflowers, and I have felt this myself, they just kind of, they're cheerful. They have this 
So yeah, I can see where it would give you a confidence vibe because they're, they're they stand up tall, they're optimistic, they they mimic the sun basically because right. they're big and they're yellow and they're these big, big beautiful floofy faces saying hello, look at me, I'm beautiful. <laughs> and um, so I I really like sunflowers for that. But other than that, there you go, sunflowers for Lunasun. That's it for Quinn's Garden Gems, and I prefer sunflower seeds. And I bet you Just that would eat make them forever. I love sunflower <laughs> seeds, and I bet it would be great to make a sunflower seed bread. Ooh. For Lunasad, or just eat sunflower seeds on Lunasad. It's yep. never occurred to me to make a sunflower seed bread. Oh, it's so good. I've but had I it bet before. It is good. Yeah. We used to go I to a bakery. I make sunflower seeds in pesto mm-hmm. instead, yes. of pine instead of pine nuts because of the price. Yeah, yep. <laughs> less so, expensive, yes. but it's just as delicious. Yep. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It makes it actually does make a very it good makes pesto. It, but make sure you get the unsalted. <laughs> right. Yes, yep. you can really oh screw God. up getting salted uh, sunflower oh, seeds in pesto. Yeah, we've made that mistake before. And I do not recommend it. Yeah, that's right. That's we basically right. had to throw it out. Yep. But now I think it's time for Cars Feast Table. Cars Feast Table. So, what I'm going to talk to you today about <laughs> is because we've been talking about grains uh-huh. and yep. all of that kind of stuff, is an onion and garlic soda bread. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you the ingredients here, but let me just say whatever I say for the garlics, when I say cloves, I actually mean bulbs. Bulbs, yeah. So, <laughs> this is how we do garlic in this house. Right. That's right. So it's one tablespoon of olive oil, one medium onion chopped, five garlic cloves, quote unquote, bulbs, minced, four cups of all-purpose flour, one teaspoon of salt, one teaspoon of baking soda, a quarter of a cup of cold butter, cubed, Hmm. one large egg, and one and a half cups of buttermilk. You always want to use use cold butter when you're making bread. See, I don't know shit about making food. So you preheat your oven to 425. Mm Mm-hmm. In a small skillet, you heat over medium-high heat onion. Cook it for three to five minutes until it's kind of a light golden brown, you know, the kind of translucent. Until it looks good to eat. Add your incredibly big pile pile of garlic in there um, and stir that for 30 seconds longer and let cool. Yeah. Pro tip, never put your onions and your garlic in the pan at the same time. You will burn the garlic. Yep. 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 In a large bowl, you want to whisk the flour, salt, and baking soda. You want to cut in the butter. Mm Mm-hmm. Until the room mixture resembles coarse crumbles. Okay. Right? Then you want to stir in your cooled onion mixture, mm-hmm. or we'll call it your cooled garlic mixture that has <laughs> some onion in it. Uh-huh. Probably. Probably. So by making a well in the center of the and dough. just bloop. Yep, bloop it in, yep. In a small bowl, you want to whisk your egg and buttermilk, and then pour that into the well. Using a wooden spoon, okay. mix the dough until it's too stiff to stir. Mm-hmm. Right? Turn on to a lightly floured surface. Knead gently about 10 times. Shape into a round loaf. Uh, Transfer it onto a greased baking sheet. Cut a shallow X in the top of the loaf and bake for 35 or 40 minutes or until golden brown. That sounds painless. I want to try this because obviously because it is a harvest festival, Uh Lunasad is like the perfect time. It's a bread time. To to make bread. And there's, believe it or not, even if you don't have a bread machine, even if you've never made bread, there are ways to make bread that tastes nice. I did actually, yeah, I did actually used to make bread. Oh, yeah. When I was in high school, I used to make various kinds of rolls. Cheddar rolls. And and breads. I never used the bread machine because I liked kneading it. Yeah. And well, it can be a lot of fun. Yeah. And trust me, watch the the Great British Bake Off and you'll learn how to need. <laughs> Mermy Death said, cries I can't eat garlic or <gasps> onions anymore. Oh, oh that's you tragic, Mermy Then you could still make the soda bread and just put something yeah, else in right. a substitute. Shit, yeah. how about sunflower seeds? <laughs> Actually, yeah, you could probably. And then Mermy also said, how much garlic? All, All of it. it. All yeah, of it. <laughs> that's the correct but amount. Mermy Death, you could substitute <laughs> yeah, uh, whatever you else. wanted to, like you could make a rosemary bread. I think that would yep. be lovely yeah, to put yeah. uh, fresh rosemary in there. Just anything that would make it savory. Yeah. Yep. You could put cheese too, probably. Yeah, you could make, you could make, a, make a cheesy bread. bread. Make it a cheesy bread. I might God, I love that. a cheesy God, bread. That would be good. Just add cheese to the to the to what we've already planned here with the onions and garlic. Because mm-hmm. an onion, yeah, cheesy garlic. If we onions bread. and garlic, we probably need to do smoked gouda. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. cheese in it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. I think I think we're done. I think we are I done. Think All right. We are okay. That's it for Lunasad. What are they celebrating in the Southern Hemisphere, though? Whatever's yeah. on the opposite yeah. end of the wheel. Yanni, you're still here. What are you guys? Yeah, Yanni, Yanni, you're in the Happy Happy to the Southern Hemisphere. That's right. 
We love our Southern Thank you, Yanni, for being here so that you could tell us this. (laughs) Because I do not have, like, a mental image of the wheel in my head. We need to get... We actually need need to to get get one. One of the wheels of the We're almost done. I know. I know. We are. We're not going to do this again. Yeah, we're not doing episodes on the Wheel of the Year again. This is the last of the holiday content. (laughs) Well, when we finish this wheel. Right, yeah, yeah. 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 We're not stopping at Lunasau, but we're at Yule, as expected. The point is, this will be our last holiday series. Series, yes. yeah. yeah. Unless, we get, unless we get really inspired. Five or ten years down the line. <laughs> right, when we're like, now that we're... Now that it's been a while. <laughs> All right. But yeah, All right, so anyway. that's it. If you want to find us, you can find us at www.3thenumber3pagansandacat.com. And all of the various links yeah, of all the social all medias stuff. are there. Yep. yep. That is true. And we also want to say thank you to our patrons. Yes. Yep. One more time because they're awesome and we love you. And thank you for everybody who's been with us tonight in the the recording channels. Yes. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com.